Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. Since December 2018, over the course of almost 60 episodes now, I've had the great pleasure of producing, recording, and editing this podcast for a slowly growing audience of listeners all around the world. What began as a project to help endurance athletes on how to understand the difference between the actual scientific evidence and the marketing hype behind various products being targeted at them to help train, race, or recover better than their competitors has evolved into what I hope is an entertaining and informative show every two weeks with lots of interesting interviews and a continued focus on subjects related to health and wellness. Throughout that time, I've managed to do all of this alone. And while it was very much a labor of love, it has been still very much a labor. With my busy schedule as a full-time emergency physician, a husband, and a father, as well as a coach and age group athlete myself, there have been times when getting the podcast out has come right down to the wire. And so I'm really excited to share the news that beginning with the next episode, I'm bringing on my first ever intern to help me with some of the work that goes on behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you. Maddie Pesh is a name that will be familiar to any of you who have been longtime listeners of this podcast. Maddie is a pro triathlete living in Wisconsin, and she joined me way back in episode four to talk about her experience moving from the age group to professional ranks, as well as about her experience as an openly bisexual athlete. Maddie had revisited me a couple of times since, and when I advertised that I was looking for an intern, she was the first to respond, and I am thrilled to bring her on in this way. As well as being an accomplished triathlete, Maddie's also a pre-med student and just wrote her MCAT exam with a plan to apply to medical school for the 2022 application cycle. As the TriDoc podcast intern, she will be working with me to help perform the literature searches that goes into all of the medical questions that I answer and will be an integral part of the podcast going forward. I'm really excited to have Maddie along for this next chapter of the podcast, and I welcome her with excitement and gratitude for helping me carry the load. On the show today, I answer the latest in a fairly lengthy series of questions related to supplements and their effects on performance, specifically as they pertain to endurance sport. Supplements, as you know, are a huge industry, and manufacturers aggressively market them to athletes, promising all manner of benefits and advantages over competitors who don't use them. But, as you know from being a regular listener of this program, the science rarely bears out the claims of the producers, and in fact, when there are benefits, they tend to be fairly small, and often not always relevant to triathletes. Well, for today's episode, I'm going to answer a listener's submitted question about the science that has been done to support the use of bicarbonate as a supplement. I've talked about bicarbonate once before, when I reviewed the science that did not support the claims of the topical lotion Amphuman. But this time around, I will look at whether or not a different way of using the substance leads to different results. Back in episode 54, I talked about the dangers of DVT, deep vein thrombosis, and whether or not it was a problem for athletes to train with this diagnosis after it's been made. Well, today I have an interview with an athlete who has experienced this problem, and he comes to us in order to echo a sentiment that I have expressed on this podcast several times. Tom Miller is an avid long-distance cyclist who, last season after completing a series of long-distance rides, found himself unable to hang with his usual group on shorter hard rides. Unwilling to believe there was something wrong, he kept trying to push through, only to eventually seek medical attention at the urging of a friend and learn that, in fact, there was a lot going on and that he had almost waited too long. 
His message of listening to your body and seeking care early is important and one that I have emphasized several times, and we're going to hear from him in just a short while. If you enjoy the TriDoc podcast and find the content helpful to your training, racing, and recovery, I hope that you'll consider a visit to my Patreon page, where you can learn how to become a supporter and get access to even more content. There's already a bonus interview up there now, and an additional one is coming in the next month. All the information on the different tiers of support and what each gets you can be found at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. And thanks in advance for considering. Of all the categories for all the questions that I have been asked to answer since I started this podcast, supplements are by far the most popular. And it isn't too hard to understand why. The supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar a year enterprise, and given the fact that manufacturers are held to very lax standards in terms of the need for proof to support their wide-ranging and often very extravagant claims that permeate their extensive advertising, you begin to see why they are front of mind for many athletes who are always looking for an edge over their competition. Over the two plus years that I have been doing this podcast, I have reviewed creatine, beta alanine, salt, branch chain amino acids, and beet juice, just to name a few. Most of these have few, if any, real benefits to justify their cost, but that hasn't stopped innumerable triathletes from using them. I can only hope that you, my listeners, are more learned in this regard and are saving your shekels for things that have been shown to actually be useful, like latex tubes or aero helmets. Still, I am well aware of the allure that supplements have, and with the deluge of misinformation that swirls around social media, I am not at all surprised to continue to hear from listeners who want some help sorting out the truth from all of the hype. Which brings me to today's question from Bill Lomax via my Coaching Instagram account. Bill wrote to me to ask about the merits of bicarbonate supplementation and its effects on endurance training and performance. Bill had heard my review back in episode 42 of the evidence on topical bicarbonate, as is found in Amp Human, but he was curious about oral bicarbonate and whether or not taking it by that route could have an effect. The notion that bicarbonate could have an impact on exercise performance isn't new, and it's based on some pretty basic concepts of physiology that make a whole lot of sense. As I've mentioned occasionally on this podcast, our bodies are remarkably complex structures, with myriad types of cells and organs, all of which work together to perform one basic task, and that is to maintain homeostasis. That is to say, that no matter what conditions our body faces, the internal milieu, or the inside of our body at every juncture, within the blood, within the cells, everywhere, that milieu is always maintained in a near steady state because of the complex interplay of a fantastic number of biochemical and physiologic processes. So, for example, no matter what the temperature is outside or how hard you are exerting yourself and generating internal thermal energy, our bodies have numerous responses that kick into action to either shed or retain heat in order to keep our internal core temperature at or very near a constant 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius. Similarly, no matter our fed state, if we just ate or if we are fasting, our bodies have a number of responses to always maintain blood glucose levels with a constant and very narrow range. Now, 
Of course, there are disease states that can result in an alteration of these tightly controlled indices. Think thyroid disease causing temperature dysregulation or diabetes causing problems with glucose metabolism. But for healthy people without underlying illness, the body does a remarkable job of maintaining homeostasis of innumerable biochemical and physiologic parameters. Now, one of these parameters is acid-base status, otherwise thought of as pH. The pH is simply a measure of acidity and must be tightly regulated because many cellular functions are exquisitely sensitive to changes in how acidic, actually more importantly how basic, the blood and intracellular environment is. Now, to maintain a near-constant pH of around 7.4 within the blood, our bodies have three important systems that all work interdependently and simultaneously to neutralize any sudden changes in acidity. The first of these is respiration. The main determinant of acidity is the presence of free hydrogen ions that are liberated by acids in solution. A chemical reaction within the blood transforms those hydrogen ions through a couple of different steps to carbon dioxide. So by increasing our respiratory rate and blowing off carbon dioxide, we can restore a normal pH pretty quickly when acidity within the blood increases. A second system is the presence of buffers within the blood and, more importantly, within the cells. Buffers are simply compounds that can soak up those hydrogen ions like a sponge so that they do not have any effect on the acidity either within the intracellular fluids or outside the cells within the blood. Now, the most important buffers within the cells are proteins that can absorb large amounts of hydrogen ions, and within the blood, the buffer that is most important is bicarbonate. Now, when bicarbonate combines with hydrogen, it forms carbolic acid that then dissociates into water and carbon dioxide. And as I just mentioned, that carbon dioxide is quickly eliminated by our lungs. So bicarbonate has an important role in keeping the blood pH normal and in facilitating elimination of acid by the lungs. The third system involves the kidneys, which work to actively excrete hydrogen ions and return blood pH to normal. Now, this last system is extremely effective, but takes longer than the first two in order to work, usually on the order of a few hours. Despite the efficacy of these three systems all working together, there are still circumstances in which they can become overwhelmed briefly and in which acidosis can result. During high-intensity exercise, for example, when muscular demand for oxygen outstrips supply, those cells begin to produce lactic acid, which liberates hydrogen ions and can quickly precipitate acidosis, first within the cells and then within the bloodstream. Once this happens, muscle cell function is reduced and exertional fatigue sets in. The theory behind bicarbonate supplementation, then, is that if one could increase the reservoir of bicarbonate buffer in the blood prior to exercise, then it may be possible to forestall the onset of acidosis and delay the onset of muscular fatigue that is precipitated by all of that extra hydrogen ion that is being liberated when you are exercising at high intensity. Now, I should mention that this is exactly the same concept behind the use of beta-alanine, a supplement that I reviewed back in episode 12, and one that also had a lot of theoretical benefits, but not so much evidence to support its use. So what does the science say about bicarbonate? Well, like so many other supplements, it's a bit of a mixed bag, and we need to be sure that we understand what it is that we're looking at. For example, in some studies, bicarbonate has been shown to improve muscular endurance, but not strength. Unfortunately, endurance, the word endurance in these studies, is not what you and I as triathletes would like it to be. 
All of the studies that have shown improved endurance but not improved strength have been in studies of weightlifting or resistance training, where bicarbonate supplementation was shown to not have any effect on how much weight or resistance could be lifted or overcome, but did have some effects on how many repetitions could be done before failure. The actual amount of improvement tended to vary by study, and not all studies actually showed this benefit. In fact, several have not. But most authors do believe that the use of bicarbonate supplementation can have positive effects in this specific regard. That is to say, the ability to lift weights for more repetitions before failure, but not to lift more weight per repetition. With respect to the kind of performance that triathletes are interested in, here the evidence becomes a lot more murky and inconsistent and harder to parse out. With respect to swimming, I could find no data whatsoever that supported the use of bicarbonate as beneficial for swimmers. All of the studies on swimming was on sprint sets, and none were on distance swimming. But still, even with sprint sets, no evidence to date supports the use of bicarbonate supplementation in terms of improving performance. For cycling, the research has been a bit more mixed. One study did show that women who supplemented with bicarbonate over a period of training were able to improve their FTP, or functional threshold power, to a larger degree than a control group who did not use supplementation, despite both groups employing the same training regimen. Another study showed that men who used bicarbonate supplements were able to improve their peak power during during cycling, but not their average power. Two other studies to mention include one very small study in which a one-hour maximal effort cycle ergometer performance of 10 well-trained male cyclists in a randomized control trial, cyclists who supplemented performed on average 13% greater total work when they used sodium bicarbonate when compared to controls. But in contrast to this, a more recent study found no difference at all when cyclists use sodium bicarbonate when they uh, did control when they did cycling trials around 60 minutes in total, and that was in six well-trained cyclists and triathletes and one cross-country skier. So you can see the data is very much in conflict. Finally, the research on running has been almost universally negative, with all of the studies focusing on sprint distances or sports that involve brief, high-intensity bursts of running, like football or field hockey or even soccer. None have looked at the effects of bicarbonate supplementation for longer, low-intensity efforts that are common for longer-duration triathlon. A couple more points to be made. All of the research that I have reviewed had participants ingesting bicarbonate an hour or half an hour before exercise, and only on the days of training. Now, this is extremely important because ongoing chronic ingestion of bicarbonate is potentially dangerous to your health and should not be undertaken because of the very real risks of adverse effects. Second, taking bicarbonate for this reason, for supplementation for exercise, is neither easy nor without side effects. The supplementation protocols use 0.3 grams per kilogram, which for an average-sized male is about a tablespoon of baking soda and contains a hefty amount of salt along with the bicarbonate. Furthermore, anywhere from 10 to 25% of participants in these studies had gastrointestinal effects from bloating to nausea to diarrhea, so that has to be considered. Finally, there's no data available on how long the effects of taking bicarbonate actually last. Given how quickly and effectively the body works to restore pH to a normal range, it is unlikely that bicarbonate supplementation is going to last more than an hour or so, and even that might be pushing it. All in all, the take-home here is that, once again, the science really does not support the use of this supplement for performance improvement for triathletes specifically. 
While there may be some benefit for cyclists in shorter duration events, the likelihood of the effects of the bicarbonate lasting through a swim and then the transition and very far into the bike is really low for a triathlete, and the evidence supporting this benefit is really far from convincing. My take is that I'm going to leave the baking soda on the shelf, or in the fridge, where at least it can help keep things smelling a little bit fresher. Do you have a question for me to consider answering on the podcast? Well, email it to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. Tom Miller is a 52-year-old from Mobile, Alabama, who transplanted to Colorado 18 years ago. Like most boys in Alabama, Tom grew up playing team sports like football, culminating in a stint as a defensive tackle on scholarship at the University of Southern Mississippi. In 2006, in an effort to lose weight, stop drinking, and live a healthier lifestyle, he discovered road cycling and never looked back. In the subsequent years, he lost 50 pounds, stopped drinking completely, and had some success on the bike, including winning the 2014 Colorado State Criterium Championship. In 2020, he became one of two cyclists to complete the Rocky Mountain Cycling Club Triple Crown Endurance Series for 10 years in a row. Tom volunteers for Special Olympics Colorado and Big City Mountaineers, and is a factory rider for Rodeo Adventure Labs and is on the Capital Gains road cycling team. But he's joining me today on the podcast to share a personal story with all of you, my listeners, as an important reminder that no matter our level of fitness, it is incredibly important to pay attention to the little warning signs that our bodies can give us. Welcome to the TriDoc Podcast, Tom. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. All right. First of all, before we get started, uh, share with the listeners, what is the Rocky Mountain Cycling Club Triple Crown Endurance Series? Because it sounds awesome, but uh, I think most people will not know what that is. And when they hear what it is, they're going to be scratching their head. So uh, <laughs> tell us tell us about the RMCC Triple Crown. So so. First of all, it's first of all, it is awesome, and it certainly is understandable if folks don't know what it is because, you know, it's it's a little bit of a let's say an underground series, and you know the and I'll I'll explain what the rides are, but it you know the the rides are are ridden let's say by you know twenty to twenty five people, so it's by by no means a large event. So the um, the Rocky Mountain Cycle Club started uh, um, some distance rides back in the 90s that were basically started as training rides for Paris Press Paris. And so they, you know, they weren't very widely advertised. They were just ridden amongst groups of friends. And some of them kind of evolved to be, quote unquote, rides that maybe larger groups of cyclists would do. And one of them was Denver to Aspen. And so, you know, there was a time in the 90s when Denver to Aspen was a ride that was, you know, fairly large in size. I don't know numbers, but, I, you know, I would assume, you know, maybe 50 or above cyclists would do that. And, and there were other training rides, too, that, that these folks would do. And those rides would be, let's say, the Grand Loop, which starts in Denver and goes over Trail Ridge Road, or the Death Ride down in the San Juans. And all of them were about... 200 miles with between, let's say, 12,000 and 20,000 feet of elevation gain. So fast forward to about 1998, and a guy named Mark Lowe, who is a, a very close personal friend of mine and a kind of a mentor to me, he wanted to set up um, a series in Colorado that was 
kind of um, designed to, to be similar to a series that is held in California, which is called the Triple Crown. And, and they have their own series. And so Mark said, well, Colorado should have our own series because we have mountains too, and we can do a very similar type of thing. And so Mark started this quote-unquote Triple Crown series with the Rocky Mountain Cycle Club in earnest, I want to say in 1998 or so, or excuse me, I'm sorry, 2008 or so, 2008, 2009. And, and that's where it got its start. And so, you know, over the years, there's been a min, an ever-evolving menu of rides in the Triple Crown. And right now, there's probably 20 or so rides, of which five are typically offered per season for cyclists to choose three. And so you choose three of the five rides, and you can do all five if you want to. And doing the three rides in a season earns you the the triple crown finisher kind of designation. Yeah, and Mark, uh, I know Mark as well. Mark and I work together at Denver Health, although I don't know you through Mark. Uh, that's just a happenstance. Um, but uh, yeah, Mark is uh, Mark is nuts. I mean, the stuff that Mark does on a regular basis in terms of his rides and uh, just watching him do the Triple Crown every year is always uh, quite astonishing. Um, but uh, for you, Tom, I'm interested. Uh, you know, defensive tackles don't generally get onto bicycles. Uh, I'm curious how that came to pass because, uh, I have to admit it doesn't seem like the most obvious choice. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what, what got you to that, uh, part of your life? Okay. So, so I, I, lo- I love that question because this is a story that I love to tell the, um, so I grew up in Mobile, Alabama and I was a big kid, you know, and when you're a big kid in Mobile, Alabama, sports are going to find you. You don't have to do a thing, you know. And, and so when I was really young, I mean, you know, young grade school, you know, I was I started playing football and basketball and those things kind of that's because that's what you did. And there was a certain amount of you know pressure on me because I was a big kid. And as I as I started growing, you know, and through elementary school and high school, you know, I got even, I got even bigger. And so, you know, in high school I was, you know, six, five, probably somewhere around 250 or 260, you know, at different times, my weight fluctuated. And, um, one thing that's been consistent throughout my whole life is I've always enjoyed weightlifting, but, um, so I was, I was big. And so football kind of, you know, it was an obvious choice and I was doing it and I had a certain amount of success at it. And, you know, enough to kind of be recruited and, and be, you know, I guess, you know, something of a, uh, maybe like a minor, a minor big deal, a little big deal in the, in the town that I was in and getting a certain amount of attention. And I didn't, I didn't really know at the time, you know, how the, the circuitry of my mind worked. And so I, I didn't really know what it was like to love a sport and not love a sport. I was just kind of doing it because that's what you do. And I was good at it. And so it, it just seemed natural to do this thing that you're good at and you're getting all this attention for. And I learned a lot of really valuable things through football. There's a lot of people that taught me a lot of things and, and those things I use today in my toolbox, you know, every, I mean, every day. And it's something that I'm really grateful for, but 
you know, when my time with football ended, you know, I had a period where I was going to school and going to graduate school and those types of things and, and, and focusing on my career into athletics took a big, took a bit of a back seat. And I started noticing cyclists just on the road. Uh, you know, I, I would just watch them and I've, I've never been a fan even to this day. You know, I, I probably couldn't name five pro cyclists. You know, I've never been a spectator sport fan. I've never watched sports on TV or anything like that. So in my place of work at the time, there was a, a guy who had been a cyclist in the past, and he was looking to get back into it. And so he had experience, and he knew what he was doing. And I expressed an interest in it. He took me under his wing, and... I started doing it and that just meant following him around all over the place, you know, several like bicycle tour of Colorado's and those types of things like behind my friend's wheel, just watching and learning and trying to absorb everything I could. And I very quickly figured out a few things. And one of them was that it was the most difficult thing that I'd ever done. And, and I was getting just destroyed on little hills. Now, granted, I was still pretty heavy. But it, it was just eating my lunch, and, and it had my attention. It was like being in a um, – I, I describe it as like being in a sparring session with somebody when, when they just cl- just clock you. All of a sudden, you know, you, your your attention <laughs> – they have your attention, and you're like, wait a minute, now we're talking. And so it was this really formidable thing that I knew I was up against. But I also realized that I really liked it, and I liked almost everything about it almost immediately, like from day one. I liked the solitude of it. I liked the, the, just the fact that it was quiet, you know, because football, there was a lot of, you know, crowds and cheering and all these types of things. And I liked the fact that there was this, you know, feedback loop between, you know, what you were doing athletically and what you were doing mentally. Yeah, I really like that. A couple of things you said there really resonate. That was great. Uh, okay, well, let's fast forward now. You've been cycling for quite a while, but then something happened this summer, and uh, you're in your you know best shape of your life, if you will. And uh, all of a sudden, what, what what happened this past summer? Yeah. So, um, so I was. I. I. That's accurate. I. I. I probably would describe myself being in the best shape of my life, or maybe close to it this summer. Which, um, which is a little bit unusual because I'm 52, but I mean, you know, age doesn't dictate that, but I, you know, people would think, well, naturally you'd be, you'd be fitter if you were 45 and you were doing what you do. But I was really focused this year and, and I was focused because, you know, it was the 10th year of the triple crown and I, I was, because of COVID, all the triple crown rides were set up to be solo and completely unsupported. And so you would just, you know, schedule the ride, sign a waiver and then you're off to go, you know, ride 200 or 230 miles and hopefully finish under the time limit. But you're, you were just on your own. And so I knew that going in. And so I started training really heavy in January on you know, my trainer. I like, I like, I use a kicker like a lot of people do. And I'm on trainer road. And so I was just on there all the time. And I set up all my triple crown rides to happen early in the summer because I kind of wanted to get them over with and, and go about my, my year. You know, they, 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 as, as anybody will tell you, and a lot of your listeners and, and yourself, you know, these things kind of weigh on you mentally. And so I wanted to get them, I wanted to get them done. And so I ended up doing three of them within five weeks and it was the closest or the most tightly packed that I've ever done them. 
and they were all solo. I'd never done them solo and all unsupported. And so there was a lot of new kind of frontiers uh, for me in that. And, you know, I get back from all my big endurance stuff where I'm having to rest and all this kind of stuff. And I try to immerse myself back into these fast, short group rides. And I was struggling, which is not abnormal because, you know, you're recovering from all these extreme efforts. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just recovering and, and it's going to take me a little while. Well, as I was noticing over the course of the, let's say the second half of the summer on these group rides, and I do several per week, that my fitness wasn't quite coming back to the level that I was familiar with. And it wasn't like being hit with a sledgehammer or anything. It was just, it was, it was almost imperceptible at first. I, I would use the word insidious to describe it, but I would notice it, let's say, when, when the Peloton would step on the gas and then, you know, so there'd be a, there'd be a surge and all of a sudden there'd be a, a little decrease in acceleration as Pelotons do. Normally, I would be able to recover just lightning fast and heart rate goes down, breathing gets a little bit back to normal, still elevated, but at I was noticing that I wasn't recovering like that. Like all of a sudden, like I'd still be out of breath. So the Peloton would surge and it would, it would slow down or deaccelerate. And I would, I would remain out of breath, which was really weird to me. And then I noticed that on some places, on some of the rides I was getting dropped, like where I wouldn't get dropped before. I'm a, I'm a really big guy even now. Like I'm, I'm six foot, a little over between six, five and six, six and, and two twenty. So any of your listeners can automatically tell how fast I go up hills. But if there's if there's rollers involved, that's kind of my world. And I was getting dropped on some rollers. And I was like, what? That's really weird. Okay. And I started rationalizing it in my head. And I said, I told myself a lot of things. And one of the things I told myself was that, you know, I'm heavier this year, you know, because I do like to lift weights. And I, and I am heavier this year. And... The other thing that I was saying was, okay, I'm older, I'm 52, maybe I don't recover like I used to from the big rides, or I did them all close together, and then I was also thinking that, you know, there's a there's a lot of smoke in the air this year. I, I have a history of kind of, you know, bronchial issues, and so with, um, I was thinking maybe it's just, that's all affecting my performance, and then in the back of my head, I was thinking it could be something scary. And I had a few ideas and they were all kind of related to cardio. Like I had read anecdotally that some people who had had some athletes that had had COVID had had cardiac or cardio issues afterwards or performance issues afterwards related to damage to their heart, you know, but that was like a way, way, way in the back of my head. And, and so I was focusing on all these other things. But I was still out there doing all the stuff I normally do and even like going and riding 50 miles or 70 miles and going to the gym. All, the, all that stuff was, was the same. So mid-September, I had a five-day cycling weekend or, or vacation rather scheduled with Mark Lowe. And Mark and I, you know, as, as you mentioned, king of the endurance scene like a mentor to me. I can't, I can't state that enough. Like Mark has, you know, he's younger than me, but he's like an older brother. He helped me in the sport. He guided me through all these triple crowns, et cetera, et cetera. And 
I was going to do a five-day cycling vacation with Mark up in Steamboat. It was going to be all gravel, you know, and if you ride with Mark, it's going to be all distance, even though I, I got him to dial it back a little bit, like, but a lot of the rides were, you know, 100 to 130 miles, that kind of stuff in middle of nowhere, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I hadn't seen Mark in like, I don't know, like five or six months. And I certainly hadn't ridden with him in a long time because the triple crowns were all unsupported. So he didn't, he didn't know how I was riding and, and everything that I was experiencing was, you know, was not something that he, that he had seen or witnessed or anything like that. And so we get to steamboat and we were going to have a, um, let's say an icebreaker of a first, like a dip your foot in the pool first ride, you know, for, for Mark and I, and, and the distance was 70 miles and it was on gravel. So we were riding, you know, gravel grinders. I, I ride my bike from rodeo and I think there was like 4,000 feet of elevation gain and it was rollers. Now under normal circumstances, you know, that type of ride for me, you know, is something that I would do and then go to the gym later. You know, it's not that that's not anything out of the ordinary for me to do just on kind of like the, the, the first half of a weekend day, let's, let's say. And so Mark and I take off and start riding and the first, you know, part of the ride, let's say the first 20 miles or so I was feeling pretty good and we were riding together and talking and laughing and those types of things. And and then towards the midpoint of the ride, I started struggling on the little hills. And Mark kept looking at me kind of as we were riding and as we were struggling. And he would wait for me at the top of these little rollers and I would get up to the top and I would be winded. You know, which was like completely normal for me. This is the way I had been riding since, you know, I don't know, early, early July. And this continued, you know, for the next maybe 20 miles or so and and he, he kept having to wait longer and longer at the top of the hills. And I would get to the top of the hills and he kept looking at me. And then finally he said, something's wrong with you. And I said, I told you I have been struggling this, this summer. You know, I said, Mark, I'm heavier. There's smoke in the air and all these types of things. I gave him all my excuses. And he said, no, 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 something's wrong with you. you know, this is not how you ride. And you don't lose fitness this fast. I mean, I, I, you know, I saw your training files from earlier in the year, and and, and you're really, um, you're really riding like a different person right now. And I think we should go to the ER. You know, Mark is somebody who I trust implicitly, and there's probably no one else in the world, literally, that could have said. Let's go to the ER on the first day of a cycling vacation to me and, and who I wouldn't laughed, have laughed off the side of the hill. I, I, there's no one else in the world that, that could have suggested that. And I, w- I would not have even entertained the thought. And so eventually, okay, okay, you win. You know, I, I, I'll go. And kind of shaking my head internally, just going like, what, like, what am I doing? You know, what, what, what did I just agree to? You know? So <laughs> we went, we went to the went to the ER and the ER doc says, you know, do you want your friend to come back with you? And I said, yeah, please. And so I talked to ER doc and he asked me what was the problem and I said, you know, I, ju- I just rode 70 miles and I feel like I've been run over by a truck. 
And, and I was just met with a blank stare, you know, just like right there. And I said, no, 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 this is not, this is not normal that like, I should be able to do that and like be off doing whatever I want to do. Like I'm trying to having to work a lot harder to do what I do. And Mark's sitting right there. And, and so everybody's thinking, I guess the, from the ER doc's perspective, you know, he's thinking a lot of things. I'm sure that I don't know what he's thinking, but, but he wanted to run a panel of tests to, to see if there was something wrong with my heart. And Mark was sitting there and he said, well, we'll also add a D-dimer test to it to see if he has blood clots. And the ER doc said, good call. Okay, we'll, we'll do it. And ER doc left, um, stayed gone, you know, I don't know how long, 20, 30 minutes, came back. And he said, you know, everything on your, everything with your heart looks clear. And, and I promise you, I looked at Mark and I said, this is the last time I'm coming on vacation with you ever again. I said, that's it. You've got me ER and heart's clear. And then the doc said, but your D-dimer is elevated, so you might have blood clots. And, and all of a sudden, everything got very, very serious. Um, I was put on heparin. I, I guess they did the CT scan first. So I went and did the CT scan, and and they diagnosed um bilateral pulmonary embolism. So, so blood clots in both of my lungs. And that would, uh, that would definitely explain everything that had gone on to this point. Um, you know, you have blood clots in your lungs, you don't perfuse your lungs well, it's hard to oxygenate and, uh, you know, you're therefore not able to, I mean, everybody knows VO2 max. We talk about VO2 max all the time. Well, VO2 max depends on your ability to get oxygen from your lungs to your muscles in the first place. You can't do that when you have pulmonary emboli, not to mention the fact you're putting a pretty significant stress on the heart. So, I mean, I know you've, you've gone through a lot of tests since then to try and figure out why you have this. I know you don't have any answers yet, but I think the important thing that I, I really want my listeners to hear is, you know, here you are sort of excusing away all the symptoms you were having throughout the summer. Um, and you know, it's easy to see why, uh, most people, you know, our age don't want to, you know, think about the fact that what they have is something potentially fatal. Uh, what, what sort of your message, what's, what's the lesson you take mm. from your experience? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And that's really the reason, you know, that's really the reason why I'm here, you know, that there's, you know, there's. I'm, I'm averse to any type of, um, I, I usually don't like to talk about my cycling very much. It's a very private kind of almost spiritual thing for me. But, um, but if, if this can serve as a bit of a PSA, that's, that's wildly interesting to me. And what I would say is a few things. And one of them is that, you know, we, we condition ourselves to push through, pain and discomfort and all those things. And we learn all these mechanisms as athletes to kind of do that. And really, and all that's fine and, and, and useful and, and helpful in doing what we do. But really, when we look at ourselves, like we know, you know, when something's wrong. You know, and, and you can kind of like play tricks with your mind and kind of excuse away things. But really, it's important to kind of understand when something in the fundamentals of the way that you perform is different. And that can be a lot of things. You know, that can be, you know, all of a sudden your power drops, you know, 30 watts. 
and, and which was wildly significant, you know, or, or, or that you're struggling on rides or that you're cutting off your rides, you know, a lot shorter than you used to. And those are things that you need to pay attention to. And, and we're, I think sometimes we're conditioned to tell ourselves things like, oh, I just need to train harder, or maybe I'm out of shape, or maybe everybody else is, you know, really fast this year and I'm not. But really it takes a step back to say, wait a minute, is the fundamental of nature of me as a performance athlete different? Is something off balance? So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is, is something that I'll, I will admit that I was naive to, is that if you think something's wrong with you, go to the ER. If you think something's significantly wrong with you, like if you're struggling to, you know, to catch your breath or something seems out of whack internally like that, like don't waste time, you know, don't schedule an appointment with your general practitioner and he can see you in two months and all these types of things. Get checked out and get checked out quick. I think I used to think of the ER as a place where you went if you had a butcher knife stuck in your side, you know, or, or if you had a, I mean, heart attack or something like completely obvious. But, you know, it took Mark to tell me, I, I Trust me when I say, okay, so if I had not gone cycling with Mark that, that weekend, I would not have gone to the ER. I know that I wouldn't, like in the weeks and months ahead, unless this thing got so acute that I, was, I couldn't breathe or that I was coughing up blood or that there was a stabbing pain in my, I mean, all those things would have had to happen. I probably would have come back and like doubled down on my training, to be honest with you. I would say, you know, listen to your body. Don't lie to yourself. And, and take these things seriously because they are serious and, and they can impact the rest of your life, you know, or, I, I mean, those are, yeah, those are hugely important messages. And I say that frequently on this podcast that, you know, as athletes, we spend a lot of time listening to, you know, all the little niggles that will come up when, you know, I, Oh, I've got this little thing in my back or this little thing in my ankle. And then we do our best to ignore them and push through them. <laughs> and it, it's like, it, it's, it, it's, it's good sometimes because, you know, a lot of the times we should push through these things, but, but every once in a while, something comes up like what you're describing, which clearly is not something we need to push through. It's clearly something we have to listen to. And, and you know, making that distinction can sometimes be hard. But as I've expressed numerous times, shortness of breath, chest pain, palpitations, lightheadedness, those are the things you don't play around with. Those are the things you get checked out immediately. And yes, we do get the butcher knives sticking out of the side. We get those, <laughs> but uh, we definitely get the other ones, the shortness of breath, the chest pains and uh, all those other things too. And yeah, we can take care of them and diagnose them often much more quickly. So uh, Tom, uh, as much as I'm sorry, you've had to go through all of this. I, I am happy that you're on the mend and headed in the right direction with your health. And uh, I also thank you for coming on the podcast to share your story, because I think it is, as I said, before really really important um is the uh outlook uh, at this point that you're going to be back on your bike uh, off of anticoagulation by next summer yeah for sure um at, at least as far as i know right now and so i'm i'm already you know on on the trainer doing you know kind of moderate efforts and and that feels very good from a you know a stress management standpoint right because there's a lot of things that i'm going through um, respective to you know, the unknowns, but I, um, barring any other kind of significant shoe to drop regarding any kind of things lurking in the background, which I'm still trying to uncover with my doctors that I, I do fully plan to, um, to be back, uh, quote unquote, 
sometime in the spring and, and doing the rides that I'd love to do. Well, the Triple Crown is going to be all that much sweeter next year, not just because of uh, you know COVID in the rear mirror, but also because of all of this. Tom Miller, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and for sharing this very personal and very important story. Jeff, it's, re- it's really been a pleasure for me, and thank you for having me. And that's it for another episode. The TriDoc Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, and I alone am responsible for all of the content within it. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at the-tridoc-podcast.captivate.fm. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode? Or do you have a question that you'd like me to consider answering on a future episode? Well, send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. If you're interested in coaching services, please do visit tridoccoaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also find me on the TriDoc Podcast Facebook page, TriDoc Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDoc Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. If you're looking for extra bonus content, you can find that on my Patreon page, which is at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, train hard, train healthy.